Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter number 4. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. I'm going to, I have a few—we're back in children's church here. I have a few pictures of Abraham Lincoln. For those that don't know, that's $5. That can, that can, I don't know what that can get you these days, but it can get you something. And uh, $5, and what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask a few questions, but you have to be in elementary school. So sixth grade and below, if you're going into seventh grade, you don't want to go to VBS this week, do you? You think you're too cool, so don't be trying to get these $5, all right, if you're going into seventh grade. And uh, it's those that are going into sixth grade and below, and we'll see how you paid attention in history. Here's the deal. Parents. Do not whisper to your children. Don't cheat to give them $5, all right? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to say a statement. I'm going to give a statement. We're going to find out. You tell me who made that statement. And I'm going to look. You're going to stand up and maybe wave at me, because if you're younger, you might be small when you stand up. And I'm going to do my best. And if you win once, you can't win. I've got five statements, all right? So I'm going to stand back so I can try to see peripheral vision, sixth grade and below. Here's the statement from history. Parents, no cheating. Siblings, no cheating. Older siblings that say, I'll split it with you if if I tell you the right answer. No cheating, all right? Here it is. Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. Caleb, you got it. Come on down, Caleb. JFK right there. JFK. What about this one? All right, paid attention. Who was your teacher last year, Caleb? Mrs. Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Young? Miss, I don't know if you said Miss Young or Mrs. Young. Mrs. Young, good job, I guess. I don't know if that came up in fifth grade history or not, but you can go ahead and take the credits in that. All right, Gina? All right, what about this? Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. Oh, the gossips are the only ones paying attention in history class right now. Caitlin, that is correct. Come on down. The gossips are $10 richer. Trey, pay attention in history this year. All right, buddy? What's. All of your, your whole family's favorite subject is history? Most of, us. Most of you. Okay, well, that, that explains it then. All right. Good deal. Well, two of the Goss children are out. The rest of you have a little better chance, I guess. What about this one? We will not waver. We will not tire. We will not falter. We will not fail. This one was in some of our lifetimes. Who wants to take a guess for $5? Anybody? I'll give you a hint. It was on 9-11, or right after 9-11, right after 9-11. We have a very old elementary student back there. No, I shouldn't have said very old. We just have an older elementary student back there. That was a bad choice of words, Pastor. And any, any young, young people? All right. If not, I'll, I'll go back. Gloria, Keith was raising Gloria's hand. Who do we have, Gloria? The man she met, George W. Bush. Titus, take that on back to the Gilberts there. All right, she got the $5. Sorry, kids. Nobody took a guess. Nobody raised their hands. Let's give her a hand. There we go. W. What about this one? Let's, let's do this one. None of us were alive for this one. That government of the people, by the people, for the people shall not perish from the earth. TJ, do you know it? No? Oh, he's like getting mad. As, oh, 
Colton's got his hand up. Colton. Who? What did he say? Abraham Lincoln. That is it. Come on down, Colton. Come on down. Come get your, uh, how did you know that? How did you know it? Did you pay attention in class? You just guessed? It's the man on the, on the dollar right there. Good job, dude. All right. Five bucks. All right. Last one. I think this is my last one. Last one here. This might, let's see how many of your kids, Mr. C, I think we need to do some work on our elementary history department here. I'm not sure what's going on, but actually, to be honest, I don't know if I would know half of these. I'm terrible in history, but history trivia. What about this one? Let's see if you know this famous statement in our nation's history, sixth grade and below. 15 minutes or less could save you 15% on your car insurance. (laughs) Who said that? Let's see. Sixth grade and below. Who said that? Nobody wants, yes, sir. The Geico Lizard. There we go. All right. Everybody knows that. Nobody knows the real stuff right there. There you go. Five bucks. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting how some statements in history, and the reality is I kept that young to try to give them a chance, but if I had had just said, who said, and said most of those statements, the vast majority of us would have known most of those. Those, those statements that Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall, those, we, we would have known that point in history and who said those things and where they happened. Some statements and quotes are remembered and stand out above others. What about the man who wrote more books of the Bible than anyone else? What was his greatest statement? I'm going to bring you a message. This is just my opinion, of course, but I'm going to bring you a message entitled, Paul's Greatest Statement. We're going to look at a few different verses and writings. Really, I think all of the verses that, we'll, that I'll quote or we'll put on the screen or we'll look at in our, in our Bibles, I believe all of them are, are things that Paul wrote. We're going to look through some of Paul's writings tonight. And I want to give you Paul's greatest statement. Would you read with me 2 Timothy chapter number 4, beginning in verse number 6. Let's read verses 6 through 8 aloud together. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter number 4, verses 6 through 8. Let's read those aloud together. Ready? Begin. For I am now ready to be offered... And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. I think probably to me this is Paul's greatest statement because really it encapsulates everything he had lived for for a lifetime. But before, we're going to see it, we'll see this verse a little later on in our message, but Paul said, I press toward the mark. I'm shooting for something. I'm trying to accomplish something. I'm trying to live for God. I die daily. I want, I'm crucified with Christ. He said all these different things. He was shooting for something. But when we come to 2 Timothy 4, Paul's an older man. He's served God for, for many, many years. He's planted many churches. He's walked through many valleys. He's stood on many mountaintops. He's rejoiced in victory. He's, he's cried in defeat. He's, he bears the marks of the gospel on his body. He's been beaten and, and stoned. He's been shipwrecked. He's been left for dead. He's been imprisoned. And he comes to the end and he makes this statement, really that whole statement, but specifically verse 7. I love this statement because it's my, it's my desire. It's my passion. Verse 7, he said, I have fought a good what, church? Fight. I have finished my what? Course. I have kept the faith. No longer is it something he's looking toward. Now it's something he's saying, God gave me the strength to do it. 
and I'm excited to see him. He said, there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me at that day. And here's what I love, because sometimes we get to thinking that Bible characters are somehow on this like some crazy spiritual plane that we're not on, and they have some strength we don't have, and they have some access to God's power that we don't have. But I love this, and he says, but not to me only, but also to all them that love his appearing. Why do you love the appearing? You love the appearing when you're ready for the appearing. You've heard me use the illustration before, the few times, it's been very rare, but there have been a few times in our 22-year marriage where my wife has left home and left me with the children. I think it's been very rare. She's in nursery right now. I think it's been very rare because she wants to make sure that they're still alive when she gets, she doesn't leave because she doesn't trust me. I'm not sure. She's never said that, but, but very rare that she's left us if usually she'll take some of the kids with her or we'll all go together. It's been rare that she she's gone somewhere and left me home with the kids. But there have been times where she has. And, and you know those times where I know that maybe I'm not keeping the house the way that she has, and we're not doing those things. If, let's say, she's supposed to be home on a Saturday afternoon, and she called and said, I'm going to be home Saturday morning, and the house wasn't the way it's supposed to be, and I hadn't followed her instructions, and I hadn't done what she asked me to do, I would not be excited about her appearing. I would be running frantically about her, but, but guess what? If I've done what she's asked me to do, if I've followed her instructions, if, if I've guessed, then I'm excited to see that one that I love come back. And, and really, whether or not we love his appearing when Christ comes back again really is dependent upon how we live right now. And so Paul comes and he gets to the end and basically he says, I can look back at my life and I can say I did what God put me on earth to do. Is there any greater statement? I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished my course. I did what God put me here to do. Many of us, most of us are good at starting things, but, but, but it, much, many less of us, much far fewer of us see that checkered flag and can say we finished the course that God had for us. Why? Because in life there are tiring times and there are discouraging times and there are times where we're treated wrongly and things were not fair and we're hurting and life's not easy. And, and by the way, Paul had been through that and that's why in Acts chapter number 20, verse number 24, he said, but none of these things move me. Here's what he said, that I might finish my course with what church? With joy. That I might finish. He had not yet finished, but he said, I can't, I can't do both. I can't finish my course with joy and stay focused on all of my hurts. I can't finish my course with joy and stay focused on all the ways I've been done wrong. I can't do both. I get to choose which one I do. And he said, I'm, I'm going to keep serving God. And the only thing I know, you can go back and read it in Acts 20. The only thing I know is that wherever I go, bonds and afflictions abide me. All that I know is it's not going to be easy to follow God for a lifetime. Here's what he said, but none of these things move me. I'm not going to let them get me off track. Why? Because I press toward the mark. Because I have a target I'm shooting for, I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He finished the work for me. I want to finish the work that he's given me. But none of these things move me so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus. In Acts 20, he said, so that I might finish my course with joy. In 2 Timothy, he said, I have finished my course. What a great statement. 
It's why I believe that it's his greatest statement in all the books that he wrote as it relates to his life. And again, we can get into greatest statements of speaking of who Christ is, but as it relates to really the summary about his life. So how did he get to the point where he could make that statement? And how can you and how can I make that same statement one day that we fought a good fight, we finished our course, we've kept the faith? What are the keys that will keep you on course and allow you to finish the course that God has for you? Do you know of anybody in your life? that at one time was living for God, at one time claimed the name of Christ, at one time was excited about the things of God, at one time, and today they're far from that. They've drifted far from where they were at one time. By the way, that can happen to any of us. So what are those things? I think to find that out, we we need to take a journey through the life and writings of Paul and notice some of his other statements. I'm going to pull out four other statements that he made that I believe give us a little insight. All through the journey, Paul is teaching us things about his own life and his own Christianity and his own weakness and where he finds his strength. And we're going to look at four other statements that Paul made that I believe if we will look at these and apply them to our lives, one day we'll be able to, with Paul, to say, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Number one, the first statement I want us to see from Paul is this in 1 Corinthians chapter number two, verse number two, he said this, I determined not to know anything among you, save who, church? Save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What 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 were the keys to Paul being able to finish his course with joy. He gets to the end, and I want to get there someday. Either if God takes me home, whatever age, or if there's a season where I, I can see the finish line is coming, whatever the case may be, I want to be able to look back and say, I finished my course, and I did it with joy. I believe from Paul, this statement right here gives us a little insight into how Paul got there. He kept his focus right. And I would suggest to you these four thoughts. Number one, How are you going to finish your course and finish it with joy, finish the ministry which God's given you? Number one, from this verse, you're going to have to stay holy. I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He was my focus. He was my passion. He was my priority. We have so many different focuses and passions and priorities, don't we? We get so distracted, and so we know so much about everything. We know about the latest news, and we know about the latest fashions. We don't know a lot about history statements, but we know about other things, and and we know all of these things. We know about celebrities, and we know about sports, and we know about athletics, and we know about what's going on here and current events, but do we know Jesus? Do we know his word? I determined, Paul said, why did he get to the place that he finished his course? He said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. If I'm going to finish, he's the author. He's the one that starts it. He's the one that finishes it, and he's the in-between. If I'm going to finish, I'm going to have to look to Jesus. Paul wasn't focused on what all his peers were doing, what society was doing, what was wrong in his generation. He wanted to know Christ. Uh, The songwriter said, I'd rather have Jesus than anything. Is that your plea and is that your passion? Colossians chapter number one, verse number 18, that in all things he might have the preeminence, the priority, the first place. Is that your statement? Is that your testimony? We have to stay holy. 
He had a hunger, a thirst, a passion, a focus on Christ and Christ alone. Could that be said of you and could that be said of me? When Peter was walking on the water, why did he begin to sink, church, when he took his eyes off of Christ? When he took his eyes, he was doing fine walking through the ways of life, but when he took his eyes off of Christ, what did he do? He began to sink, and yes, that was physically sinking, but I think the spiritual application is there for you and for me. As long as we keep our eyes on Jesus, we'll be doing just fine, but when we start to look at our own faults and failures, or the hurts of someone else, or the, the downfalls of society, and we start to get consumed by those things, spiritually, we begin to sink, we begin to drown, we begin to struggle, and we will not finish if we don't learn what it is to stay close to Christ, to stay holy, to let the holiness of Christ come in through us. Why do we begin to sink and get off track in our race? We take our eyes off of Christ. We begin to look at the world, at friends, at failures. Stay holy. Guard your relationships and your influences. Don't become enamored with the world. What did Demas say? Having loved this present world, he's forsaken me, Paul said. He didn't stay close to Christ. Having loved this present world, he got off track. He didn't finish the way that he should. Philippians chapter number three, verse number 10, what does the Bible say? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That's Paul writing. The fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. How am I going to finish that I may know him? I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. How's your relationship with him? Get to know him. Fall in love with him. Surrender to him. Let him be the author and finisher of your faith. Follow his wisdom, not your own. Why, did, why was Paul able to say, I have finished my course? I believe, first of all, because he first said, I, I, he first said those words, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus. Christ and him crucified, stay holy. What's another statement that I think gives us a little insight into how Paul, because we see others around Paul not finishing when they didn't do these things. What's another statement that gives us a little insight? Number two, he said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be what church? I know both how to be a base and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I'm glad, I'm thankful. Steph Curry, I don't know if he still does, but for a, for a while he was putting Philippians 4.13 on his shoes, and I'm thankful that there are people in the public arena that are willing to put a, a Bible verse somewhere. I'm glad for all of that, but the only issue that I take with that is that verse has nothing to do with winning a basketball game or winning championships. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me, has nothing to do with NBA achievement. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me has nothing to do, and you'll sometimes hear people on TV and it's just this big religious self-help TED Talk motivational speech. You can do all things through Christ, just if you believe it, if you dream it, you can do it. That's not what this is talking about. In context, what is he saying? I can learn to be content wherever God has me, and by the way, that's the only way you're going to finish with joy. Because if you don't learn to be content with wherever God has you, you're going to grow dis disillusioned, you're going to grow discouraged, you're going to grow bitter, you're going to grow angry. God, how could you? Why'd you let that happen? What about that financial reversal? What about that health struggle? Why did you allow that there? And what did Paul say? He said, I've learned. It wasn't natural. I didn't, I didn't come by it naturally, but God has taught me that in whatsoever, by the way, where's he writing this from? He's writing it from a prison cell for preaching the gospel writing from a prison cell for doing nothing more than living for Jesus. And you know what his statement was? God, 
I'm satisfied with who you are and with where you have me. Can you say that this evening? God, I'm satisfied with who you are and with where you have me. I'm satisfied with where you've put me, with what you've given me. I'm satisfied. It's interesting, we always want what we don't have, don't we? That goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Whatever it is that you feel like that's what would make me, this job, this relationship, this status in life, this opportunity, this possession, that's what it's going to be. You know what Paul said? No, no, no. If I'm going to finish with joy, and by the way, if my life's going to include things like imprisonments and shipwrecks and stonings, I'm going to have to learn to be content in whatever state I find myself. So not only did Paul learn, why was he able to say, I finished my course? Because he learned to stay holy, to keep his eyes on Christ. Number two, he learned to stay happy. And I know that's not exactly the right word, but sometimes I like alliteration. Not always, but sometimes. So tonight's one of those times. It's not really about being happy. Happiness is is dependent upon the external circumstances, but you get the idea. Satisfied, content, joyful, in prison and out, abased and abounding, full suffering need. Everything's going the way I expected it to. Nothing's going the way I expected it to. Answered prayers feels like God's not listening. God, wherever I find myself, you're enough. I'm satisfied with you, and I'm satisfied with where you have me. And because of that, Paul said, I can be abased, I can abound, I can get bonuses at work, and I can lose my job, I can get imprisoned, and I can be lauded by thousands as I preach, all of the above, but I am not, I'm going to stay on track because my, my acceptance, my identity is not found in those things. It's found in fulfilling the course and the cause that you've given to me. In another place, what does Paul tell Timothy? Having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. So many of our problems in our debts and our struggles are because of discontentment. We complain about what we don't have and what we could have if we would just do this and if we would just go there and if I had just been in a different family or whatever it might have been. Like the Israelites, we say, well, we should have just stayed in Egypt. Egypt being a picture of the world. We should have just stayed in Egypt. It would have been better back there serving God. No. Why was Paul? I want to get to that place, and I hope you do too. I don't just want to. I got saved at the age of nine, and, and, and it's been about three decades now that I've been following God as a, for a while as an elementary student, then as a middle school and high school student, then as a college student, then as a single adult, and as a, as a young married man, and, and now as I mentioned this morning, a middle-aged married man. I don't just want to say that my wife and I, we served God, and we, we tried to please Him for 22 years, and, and we did it for a couple of decades, and then I did this, and then I blew that up, and then I went there, and then I got angry, and then I got bitter. No, like Paul, I want to say I have finished my course. I don't know what day he's going to call me home or call you home, but I want, I, I want my desire. I don't know if I'll get there, but my desire is that when he does, I'll be serving him with joy. How's that going to happen? Got to stay holy, looking unto him. I determined not to know anything, that on all things he might have the preeminence. I've got to stay happy, satisfied, content, joyful. I've learned food and raiment, being abased and abounding. Number three, Philippians chapter three. Why don't you turn with me to Philippians chapter number three? I think the next two statements are going to come from this passage. Philippians chapter number three. Why don't you turn there? Philippians chapter number three. I want you to see it. Verse number 12. Why does Paul make it to the end and able to say something so great as I have fought a good fight? By the way, you know what it shows? I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. You know what he likens the Christian life to? A fight, a boxing match, a struggle, pain, discipline, injuries, hurt, a race. What does it take to run a race? 
pain, discipline, struggle, it hurts, it's not easy. He didn't liken it to a walk in the park. He said it's a fight. It's not easy, but he had finished it. He had, he had fought a good fight. He had finished his course. Look at Philippians chapter number four. I'm sorry, Philippians chapter number three, verse number 12. Philippians chapter number three, verse number 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. What is Paul saying here in Philippians chapter number 3 and in verses 12 and 13? He says, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before. In these two verses, what is Paul saying? He's saying, I am nobody. I haven't arrived. Why was Paul able to finish his course and finish it with joy and finish the ministry God had given him? Why was he able to do that? Number three, he learned to stay humble. Stay holy. Keep your eyes on Christ. Man will fail you. Jesus never fails. Stay happy, I've learned, in what sort of state I am, therewith to be content. Stay humble. I've not, I've not attained. This is Paul. This is the, the man that was used to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Literally, if you, if you trace, if we were able to do a, uh, what are those things called, 23andMe, where you do your bloodline, where they trace your family history for you, if we were able to do that for you and for me spiritually, all of us that are Gentiles, meaning non-Jews, and all of us that were saved in the Western world, we would, almost every person in this room would trace their spiritual lineage back to this man and him taking the gospel to the Gentiles in Europe and in Asia following the ascension of Christ. That's our spiritual forefathers, if you will. Paul, he's the one that took the gospel to the Gentiles, started churches everywhere, wrote more books of the Bible than anybody, did all of, under, of course, the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, but penned more books of the Bible than This is Paul, and what did he say? I haven't done anything. I've not attained. I've not apprehended. Oh, wretched man that I am, I'm the chiefest of sinners. I struggle every day. You find it in his writings. What is Paul teaching us? If we're going to finish our course with joy, we can't start believing our own press. We can't start believing. Look at me, and look at what I've done, and look at who I am. Look at, look at how much God's used me. Oh, no. It's not about how much God's used me. It's who God is, God, that God would use any of us. And he said, not, I've not attained. I've not apprehended. I'm nobody. I heard one pastor say it this way, if you think you've arrived. You probably ain't even left yet. When I was a teenager, the first time I ever saw this statement, I went to a basketball camp and it was printed on, a, on my basketball player assignment at the end of the week that my coaches gave me. And at the top of it, it said on everybody's worksheet, their, their statement on the letterhead, it said this, the biggest room in the world is the room for improvement. That statement has stuck with me. Since probably I was 14, 15, 16, going to a basketball camp at De La Salle High School in Concord, California. The biggest room in the world is the room for improvement. Have you started to kind of get impressed by yourself? What's the Bible say? What are the, what are the effects of pride? in your Christianity? What are the effects of pride? Pride is so dangerous. Why? Because pride is what makes us think it's all about us and it's not about Him. Paul said, I haven't arrived. I'm nobody. I still have much to do for God. Why could he finish? Because he realized who he was. What does the Bible say about pride? The Bible says, it teaches us that pride destroys. What does the Bible say? Pride goeth before destruction, haughty spirit before a fall. Pride destroys, not only does pride destroy, but pride demotes, whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. 
but he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Pride demotes. And by the way, in our Christianity, pride divides. It divides us from God. What does the Bible say? God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. God pushes away at pridefulness. God isn't going to use you and me when we think we've got all the answers. He pushes away at sinful, ungodly pride. It doesn't only divide us from God, it divides us from others. What does Proverbs say? Only by pride cometh contention. You know, when you struggle with contention, it's an indicator of pride. When you're having a problem with another, what did Paul say? I die daily. He said, you can't hurt me. He said, You're not go- I'm not going to live in conflict. I'm not going to live in contention. What was that? Paul, that, that didn't mean there, there weren't times Paul stood up for truth and Paul stood up for doctrine. The Bible says that he withstood Peter to the face. There, it doesn't mean that there weren't times that there, but the Bible teaches us that pride in the life of the believer, it will destroy you. It will cause you to get knocked off whatever pedestal you've put yourself on. It will demote you and it will divide you. It will, God resisteth the proud. Pride only by by pride cometh contention. It will destroy relationships. It will destroy homes. It will destroy churches. Pride. So, so for, for, for in our lives, you, you try to serve God long enough, people will wrong you. But like Paul, we have to learn to say, but none of these things move me. Paul, what did he say in 1 Corinthians 15? He said, I die daily. Well, isn't fair how they treated me or how they treated my kids and the children's ministry or at school or in church or the way they handled this or that. I die daily. This person did me wrong. My parents did me wrong. This pastor did me wrong. I die daily. Man's mistakes don't change God's will for your life. Sometimes we get off track serving God because of what somebody's done to us. Aren't you glad Paul didn't? Because if he had, he never would have got to 2 Timothy 4. He never would have said, I finished my course. I've kept the faith. I've fought a good fight. And I'm looking forward to that crown of righteousness. But by the way, it's not only me, Timothy, that can win it. It's everybody that follows that same pattern. But to do it, you're going to have to stay holy. Keep your eyes on Christ. You're going to have to stay happy, content. God, I'm satisfied with who you are, with what you've given me, and where you've placed me. Contentment is not complacency. Don't get it mixed up. God doesn't want complacent Christians. Complacency is when I'm satisfied with who I am. Contentment, I'm sorry, contentment is when I'm satisfied with who God is and with where he's placed me. Oh, I don't want to grow complacent. No, what Paul wasn't complacent. I press toward the mark. He was not complacent. I'm giving everything I've got with passion, with fervor, with focus. I'm giving everything I have. Paul was not complacent, but he was content and stay happy and then stay humble. Pride, it's where Satan got knocked out of heaven, and it's probably knocked more Christians out of their Christian life, more pastors out of their, out of their work, more, more churches have been divided through pride, ungodly pride, con- dis- dis- con- uh, discord, dissension. Bible talks about it, God hates he that soweth discord among brethren. Discord comes when, well, I think we ought to be doing that. I think this, it's my way. This is what I want. Why did they do that? Why, why can't we have this? I, my husband, why did he treat me that way? Why? Oh, what does humility say? I'm dead. I mortified the flesh. I'm here to serve God and to serve others. That's how you'll finish and finish with joy, is to learn to stay humble. 
was talking with a pastor several years ago when I first uh, became pastor here at Liberty. And I was talking to him about some of the struggles he was walking through, some ways that different church members were handling things and some, had, had said some things and done some things that were very hurtful. And he said, whenever I'm walking through these things and people respond in those ways, I wrote it down because I'd never heard the, the, use the terminology this way. He said, I try to view people that hurt me, here's what he said, as conduits of uncomfortable grace. I'd never heard that phrase. And I, I said it, we were sitting in his car, it was right after he had spoken here. I think it was right, right in 2015, right when I got here. And I looked at him and I said, I've never, I said, what do you, he said, I try to view those that hurt me as conduits of uncomfortable grace. God, what are you teaching me? God, how are you trying to humble me? God, how are you trying to change me? It's God's, it's a gift of God's grace that he's using this to mold me and to shape me. I said, I've never viewed it that way. I said, the way I, the, the terminology that I have for those that try to hurt me, I call them jerks. <laughs> he calls them conduits of uncomfortable grace. But you know, the only way we can view life through that lens is humility. When we're lifted up in pride and somebody attacks us, man, we're going to attack right back. We're going to debate. We're going to attack. We're going we're to justify. But when we're humble, God, you can take control of that. And then lastly, would you read verse number 14 aloud, Philippians chapter number 3, verse number 14. Ready? Begin. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Stay hardworking, focused, single purpose. And notice verse 15, the next, the next verse, it says, let us therefore be thus minded, not just for Paul to do these things, but for us. Paul said, I'm going to forget what happened in the past, forgetting those things which are behind, and I'm going to keep working till he comes or calls me home. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There is a purpose for my living, and I'm going to devote every ounce of my being to that purpose until I can say, I have finished my course. Have you lost sight of your purpose? Have you stopped serving with the fervor and passion that you once did. Be careful. So easy to get distracted. I watched one of, one of the greatest influences, one of the top five influences in my life, who literally, if you would rank things this way, would have been the greatest church member of our home church. I love him dearly. He actually just communicated with me on social media today. And I met with him, and I watched as, as for a season in his life, he was so plugged in doing everything, and for a season, and there's some things I'm aware of and some things I'm probably not aware of, a variety of reasons, he really just, and I think he would say this, in his spiritual life just drifted away from all of it. Now I rejoice, I believe he's back, uh, back really plugging back in. He, he mentioned a couple of times the last couple of weeks on my social media, if I'm ever in Southern California, man, I'm so proud of you, I want to come see your church. But I remember having lunch with him and asking him, you were doing all of this. How did you get to here? And he said, Ryan, it's amazing how quickly and how easily it happens. He said, I didn't plan to do it. It wasn't my agenda. Some things happened in life. Some things happened with work. And he said, little by little, I just gave up that responsibility. And then I asked him to take that responsibility from me. And then all of a sudden, I was on a three-week business trip overseas. And then I said, I can't teach this class anymore, and I, I can't keep doing that. And he said, I just little by little, that's what he told me probably some 20 years ago, little by little, I just stopped. I just got used to not going, and it's amazing how quickly I filled that time 
with other things. What was he saying? And again, good man, I, I love him. I'm not trying to criticize. There would be a couple in this room that would know who I'm talking about. A wonderful man. He's, he's an amazing influence. He taught me how to drive a stick shift, taught me how to make my first resume, helped me get my first job. Just a, an amazing man in my life. But for a season, drifted, and I think he would say, I didn't stay focused on the mark. I got distracted with life and with family and with, with some issues in family and with, with work and with other things. What did Paul say? I gotta forget those things which are behind and I've gotta reach forth unto those things which are before I press toward the mark. There's that opportunity, there's that reality for all of us that we'll start well, but we won't finish well. That we'll do well for a year, or five, or 10, 20, 30, 40, and then something, our flesh, some situation, some hurt, some pain will get us off track. I don't know about you, but I want to, like Paul, I want to say I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. I finished that ministry which God gave me to do. In Scripture, we see when people fall and fail, it's for usually one of these four reasons. With Peter, they got their eyes off Christ. Got to stay holy. Keep your eyes on Christ. I determined not to know anything among you, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Like Demas, they're dissatisfied with where they are, having loved this present world. Satan got lifted up in pride, think he deserved more. They get lazy. David and Bathsheba, the time when kings go forth to war, didn't stay hardworking. He got a little lazy and sin came in. In your life, which one is it that maybe there's a little struggle there? Stay holy. You've allowed carnality to creep in. We saw this morning, sin is crouching at the door. Stay happy. Are you content? God, I'm satisfied with who you are in my life, with what you've given me, with where you've placed me, with where I am, my state in life right now. I'm content. I'm satisfied. If you're not, you're not going to finish with joy. You're going to try to fill that hole with something. And often it's not what God wants for us. Stay humble. I've not attained. I've not apprehended. I've not done anything. I'm pressing toward the mark. Stay hardworking. Don't back out of the work of God. As God gives you life and strength, pour more into it in your life and in mine. Guess what? If we're going to do that, there's going to be some pain. There's going to be some struggles. Some of you would know this name, many might not, but even those that don't know the name have probably heard or seen the story of a man by the name of Derek Redmond. Derek Redmond was a tragic Olympic hero. Already, at the, by the time he got to the 1992 Olympics, he was already that. I think we have a picture, there he is, he's the one on the left there. In 1988, Seoul, South Korea Olympics, he was forced to pull out of the 400-meter relay that he had prepared for years for due to an injury to his hamstring, listen to this, 90 seconds before the start of the race. Years of his life, 90 seconds in Seoul, Korea, before he was supposed to run the 400-meter relay, he had to pull out. He went back home, he returned, he, in the, in the, in, in, he worked for four years. He underwent eight operations. But by 1992, he was back in good health, and he had qualified for the Olympics, and he was ready to see his dream come true. He was ready to represent his country, Great Britain. And the, the starting line, the gun went off, 
and Derek began to run, and he was doing all right, and you can go, I won't show the whole clip tonight, I'm going to show you a brief clip, but you can go and watch the race, and you can see about a third of the way into the race, he comes up hobbling. Four years of work, eight operations, countless hours, defeat, struggle, disappointment in 1988, disillusionment, discouragement, struggle, and there's a time where he goes down to the ground, and he goes to the ground and he he gets back up. He was only 250 meters from the finish when he re-injured that hamstring, and it seemed like victory was snatched from him once again, but a powerful thing happened. He refused to give up. As he hobbled along the final stretch, you'll see his father run out. He makes his way past security to help his son cross the finish line. He didn't know it was his dad at first, and he tried to push him away. I'm going to show you in just a minute a 90-second clip. This is a great analogy, a great picture of our Christian life. So many things. Number one, it doesn't always, the race doesn't always go the way we think it will. Number two, there's some unexpected pain and heartaches and hurts that come along the way. Number three. To make it over the finish line, we're going to need the help of the Father. You're going to come up hobbling. You're going to come up limping, but you've got a Father that is there for you that will help you. He doesn't know it's his dad at first, and he kind of pushes him away, and the dad, he says, and he sees him, and he puts his, and when he sees his dad, he breaks down in emotion, and he realizes, I'm not strong enough to finish, but my dad is here. We can make it. And, And what's amazing is nobody remembers who won the gold medal of that race. But if you were to Google most inspirational Olympic moments, many, many of these articles and and YouTube videos and things will put this up there as number one. Others will put it as number two or number three. Almost all will put this in the top five most inspirational moments. And what was the inspiration? He didn't win. He got last place. He didn't do what he came to do. But the inspiration was he didn't quit when things got hard. He got back up and he said, I'm going to finish. And he did it with the help of his father. I want you to see this 90-second clip here, a powerful visual, a man who chose to finish his course no matter the pain, the defeat, the heartache, the heartbreak, the disappointment. Go ahead. Look at this. He's going to try to finish his semifinal race. The British have a certain tradition of running, which you have to respect. See his dad sprinting down the bleachers there to jump onto the track.
is the Olympic spirit. I don't know about you, but I, I kind of relate at times. There are times where you feel a little bit like that, don't you? And I'm not running as fast as I thought I did. It's not going the way I thought it would. It hurts worse than I thought it would. But 65,000 people stood, not to cheer on the winner of the race, to cheer on the one who said, I press toward the mark. I'm going to finish. And none of these things move me so that I might finish my course. And by the way, he wasn't strong enough to do it on his own. He needed the Father to come alongside and put his arm around him. And you and I have access to that. We have that friend that sticks closer than a brother. We have the gift of other believers that can walk with us through those things. And you and I, God wants us to finish our course. Who is our greatest example in finishing? Christ. What did he say on the cross? It is finished. To Telestai, paid in full. What did he say? I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work you gave me to do. Here's the reality, church. Just like I said this morning, Paul said it this way too. I can't do it on my own. I need his help every day. This is not a self-help, get, get yourself stronger to finish. Here's the reality. None of us are strong enough. It is his finished work, Jesus' finished work, that gives us the strength to finish ours. It's the finished work of Christ that gives us the strength to finish the work he's given us. You're not going to do it on your own. If you trust in your own strength, the flesh will fail. Men will fail you, and you'll fail yourself, and you'll fail others. But Jesus never fails. I believe Paul's greatest statement, as it relates to his entire life, I have fought a good fight. It wasn't easy. It was hard. It was hard. It's painful. Injuries. But it was, it was a fight, but I fought it. And I fought it the right way. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all those that love his appearing. Don't you want to finish? Don't you want to finish the way that God wants you to finish, the work that God gave you to do? Paul, we could pull out some other statements, I guess, that he made, but I think these four really encapsulate it. We've got to keep our eyes on Christ. Stay holy. Learn to be content, stay happy, die daily, stay humble, and press toward the mark, stay hardworking, till God calls us home. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.